If you're new today, or if you've been gone for the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, the Misconceptions Sermon Series, which kind of takes an outside-in look uh, at uh, some of the uh, biblical truths, where we start with these misunderstandings that we often hold on to as Christians about the faith and how to live out your faith, and then really look at the truth of the, the Bible and uh, what that really means for us. And, and today's topic, I think, is really important. Uh, it's one that's going to hit home for many or all of us, because I think we all struggle with this in, in, in uh, some way, shape, or form. And as you've heard from uh, Steph, the topic today is forgiveness. And the misconception really is that as a Christian, forgiveness is optional. And that can be played out in many different ways. Uh, one we often hear is, I'll forgive them if they simply just apologize to me or recognize what it is they did. Um, I'll forgive them this time, but I won't forgive them the next time. Or they've done something so egregious to me that I couldn't ever possibly forgive that. Uh, but however it is that you look at it, you know, as we read through the Bible, that forgiveness in itself, as a Christian, is not optional. It is the expectation that we work toward forgiveness in all things. And undoubtedly, all of you experienced some sort of pain or hurt in your life that you know that forgiveness is hard. It's really, really hard. And it was C.S. Lewis who said that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. And we experience that time and time again. Now, before we get into the, the sermon today, I think it's really important to lay down a very clear uh, picture and definition of forgiveness, because oftentimes we avoid forgiveness or think of it as optional simply because we misunderstand forgiveness. And some of these things we'll be getting into later, but just at the foundational level, it's, it's easier sometimes to explain uh, what forgiveness is not, what forgiveness is not. And first of all, forgiveness is not approving of what someone did. It's not pretending like it never happened or somehow just forgetting it. It's not justifying whatever sin that may have happened or even acting like you were never hurt by it. It's not becoming a doormat that people can just walk over you. And it's not refusing to hold people accountable to their uh, decisions and their actions. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to become best friends with them or even friends at all. And again, it's not removing all consequences from, from their life. There's actually a great danger and disservice to you if you start believing those kinds of things of forgiveness. But when we define forgiveness in the biblical concept, it's, it's really important just to look at the Greek word itself for forgiveness that's used over and over uh, by Jesus and by the apostles. Directly translated, uh, forgiveness means to let go or to send away. And it's this word picture, this, this idea of holding on with clenched fists, you know, kind of the white knuckle mentality and tense muscles. And now if you forgive, it's simply relaxing and letting it go. And if you, for, if you have forgiven someone in your life, you know the feeling and if you've experienced what that means to forgive. It's letting go of your desire for revenge or payback. It's letting go of bitterness and anger instead of holding on to the offense 
for days or weeks or years or lifetime. It's letting it go and knowing that the freedom, if you forgive, is not so much for the other person, it's for you. Freedom is for you. And forgiveness is for you. Now, we said this uh, before. It's easier said than done. That forgiveness is difficult. But with God's help, it's always possible. And forgiveness itself is at the heart of the gospel. It's the keystone to the Christian life. But I know this morning, just by simple virtue of us being human, of people being people, that there are some or many here who are struggling with forgiveness. I, at times in my life, have struggled myself. And so before we start today, I really want to take a moment to pray for you. And you know who you are. If you're holding on to those things that you simply cannot let go, God wants you to forgive. And I'm going to pray for you right now before we start in the scriptures. Join with me. Lord, we just pray uh, now on this topic of forgiveness that we can come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of all you have to say and all you have to offer in this arena. But I do pray for those of us this morning that have had those hurts and those pains, those offenses against us that we have held on to with white knuckles through, uh, through the, the years, that you would give us the ability to let it go, that you would soften our hearts, that you would strengthen us and give us the courage to forgive and to let go of the past. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone now in that position that they would simply rest in your grace, that they would be able to give that same grace to someone who needs it and truly experiences the freedom of forgiveness. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you've been here in the past few weeks, you know we've been doing a lot of flipping back and forth in the Bible. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to make it a little easier for today. It's mostly in the book of Matthew, uh, but our first point is going to be uh, out of the book of Colossians, if you'd like to turn there. And after that, we'll be pretty much all in, in Matthew 18. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to start. But the biblical insight we get out of this is that Forgiveness is a key virtue of a Christian, and what I mean by that is that we become distinguishable as a Christian because of our forgiveness. It sets us apart from the world. And a constant theme in uh, Paul's epistles, uh, we, we'll see it here in the book of Colossians, and we see it in Ephesians and Romans, is that when you are a Christian, uh, your life changes. What people see about you is different than the, what you might see of a normal person or a non-Christian in the world. And who you are now is or should be different than who you were before Jesus. And what we know just simply by looking at the world around us is that forgiveness is not the way of the world. In fact, what we hear in, quote, worldly wisdom are things like, don't get angry, get even. Or that the taste of revenge is sweet. But Christians are called to a different life. And we're to exemplify different virtues. We'll be reading out of uh, Colossians 3, uh, 12 and 13. But before that, uh, Paul is explaining all of the works of the flesh. Or the works of worldliness. And he tells us that 
we used to walk in these ways of the old life, but you should rid yourself of many things, and some, some of them are anger, rage, malice, and slander. That's in verses 7 and 8. But now, conversely, we read about the positive attributes, the positive virtues of a Christian. And I'll start in verse 12 of chapter 3. That therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bear with one another. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we read these great attributes, these great virtues of a Christian. Things like uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But do you want to know the greatest roadblock to any of those things? Is an unforgiving heart. And that's why we see him bridge directly into these ideas of verse 13. That first were to bear with one another. And this really just means enduring one another. And there's this admittance kind of up front before he gets into the topic of forgiveness that we should expect tough things to happen in this life. That for as long as people are people, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. And if you live with this expectation that everyone will be operating in the way that you've always hoped and dreamed, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. You will get hurt in this life, sometimes unintentionally, many times unintentionally. But the first command here is to bear with one another. Endure those moments. Don't simply just give up on people when they have offended you. But rather, as we read, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And this really could be written as whenever you have a grievance against someone. Because as we said, it will happen. But forgiving someone is really an act of grace. And we look at the root word for forgive, it's, it's very similar to grace. And what this means is that you might have every logical and reasonable uh, right to be hurt and offended by someone. But rather, forgiving them is showing them grace, even when you have the ability to hold it over them. Harboring resentment and grudges, these things may be at times be logical or reasonable, but it never does any good. It's also not very hard. Anyone can do it. But Christians are called to the higher road of forgiveness. And it becomes a true mark of a disciple. As we read that we're supposed to forgive as the Lord forgave you. And another way of saying that is if you are one who is forgiven, who's experienced the ultimate forgiveness of God, that you should be extending that same forgiveness to others. We have some experience, in other words, on the whole forgiveness thing. That God has forgiven us of our sin. We've experienced that joy and that freedom, and naturally we'd want to share that with others. And that really brings us, that idea uh, of, of experiencing God's freedom and wanting to share it, brings us to our next three points, which are all in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. 
And some call this the forgiveness chapter. There's so many great things in, in this, uh, in one very powerful parable that really tells us the truth of forgiveness as a Christian. But the first insight we'll pull is this, that we don't have to wait for other people to come to us and to give us exactly the right words or the right apology that we might forgive them. We don't also have to feel like it, but rather we're instructed by Jesus to initiate forgiveness without conditions when we've been wronged. Forgiveness is that uh, hallmark of the Christian life, and we also see that we have a responsibility in it as the offender. And how often are you hearing someone say, if they would just apologize, or if they just knew what they did to me and my family, or if they admitted they were wrong, I would forgive them. But until then, I never could. Now, apologizing is the right thing to do, and it's great to hear that, but biblically we read that is not the condition of forgiveness. We are to initiate that process. And we read, uh, we're going to read just 15 for right now, verse 15, that if your brother or sister sins, that we're to go and point out their fault. Uh, if they sin against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, there's a side note I need to make here on, on these verses specifically as we continue, that this is really talking about the act of reconciliation or repairing a relationship with someone. And in this case, specifically, uh, it's another believer. But reconciliation really is the end game of forgiveness. It starts with a forgiveness heart, and the hope is that you can re reconcile those relationships. Now, forgiveness only needs you. Reconciliation requires both parties in order for it to happen. But this is what we see a principle of forgiveness is laid out very clearly here. And the first thing we read is that if someone sins against you or if they offend you in some way, that you're to go to them. And it's written almost that it should be done immediately. You don't stew over it for hours or days. You don't wait for them to realize exactly what they've done and come and offer a perfect apology. Those, that kind of thinking is not just unfair, it's unreasonable. Because many times they have no idea what they did or how much it hurt you. And that's why Jesus instructs us to go to them. There's many broken relationships that simply stay broken because one or both sides are just unwilling to bend. And that's not a position of strength, that's a position of pride. But Jesus tells us to take the humble route to go to a person and to tell them their fault. We see this happen uh, or play out a lot of times in marriage relationships where one spouse is angry at the other, the other knows that they did something wrong and they have no idea what it could be. And they're rolling through their head, did I forget a birthday or anniversary? Did I forget a kid at school? You know, it's like, what, what is it that I did? And there's this weird tension that happens between them. And the other person says, I don't feel like I should have to tell them. They should just know. And you live in this weird dissonance for days or weeks until finally they break down and tell them what happened. And most often the other spouse said, I had no idea. Thank you for telling me. And that's really how it works in all of our relationships, is that you have that moment of humility, of courage to go to the other person 
and tell them. And when we say point out their fault, well, let's be honest, we're really good at pointing out other people's faults. This is the right thing to do, but there's a lot of wrong ways to do it. All right, so when you're telling them their faults, you're really just explaining what it is that they did and how it hurt you. And a great starting to this point to this, I would suggest, is to go in with the perspective of gaining understanding of their side. Rather than telling them everything they did wrong and using a lot of you statements, maybe use some I statements. This is how I felt when it happened. Could you explain to me why you did it that way? And as I said before, the majority of conflicts, I believe, even among Christians, are done unknowingly and unintentionally. And so this helps you to understand their motive, because most often you're going to incorrectly understand the motive. Go to them and seek to understand their side. And also take this moment to be fully honest. Because I think at times, as Christians, we think it's very virtuous to just quickly and instantly forgive someone with their mouths, while still feeling a lot of hurt and harboring bitterness in your heart because you weren't honest with them. And that's not always true and total forgiveness either. But take some time just to clear the air, to be fully honest, and don't just bury it until later. Explain what happened and how it hurt you, and be willing to tell them everything. There's no such thing as reconciliation between people without honest conversations. That's typically a very difficult thing to do. But the last part we see in this verse is also very important, maybe the most important, is keep it just between the two of you. Don't talk about someone, talk to someone when they have hurt you. And there's a lot of issues that arise when we have a heart of gossip. When we talked about those old ways of thinking and doing things before you're a Christian, uh, in Galatians 5, there's a, a list given that he calls works of the flesh. And, and some of those items are gossip, slander, and malicious talk. And these are the things that happen when someone hurts you. Now you talk about them to other people. That's the exact opposite of Christian conduct. So you go to them, you talk to them honestly, and you talk only to them. Only after that point now, if it doesn't work, we would read on in this, that you maybe include some other people. Bring a couple of friends. Maybe they can speak sense to them if you can't. And if that doesn't work, then expand that even more. And the text says, tell the whole church. Now, that doesn't mean on a Sunday morning people should be coming up here and telling everyone their grievances. Really, church in that time was more like a, a home group or these small networks of Christians. And that just means keep expanding that greater so you can have as many people talk to that person as possible to seek reconciliation. And if that still doesn't work, we're told to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. So that means that we just, <laughs> right? What? A pagan or a tax collector. So that means we just disavow them and have nothing to do with them and no longer love them and hold a grudge against them forever, right? Well, no. A couple weeks ago, that was the misconception we dealt with, is that Christians still should associate with non-Christians, but we need to do it wisely. And this means basically you start at square one. And if they're not going to reconcile with you as another Christian believer, then maybe, perhaps, you need to treat them as though they weren't and love them even more and point them towards grace and really speak to them the, impotence, uh, the impetus of, 
of uh, repenting of what they had done. Even if they have refused to reconcile, however, as we'll read ahead, you can still forgive them. And that is the expectation of Jesus. So after this is shared, Jesus shares this um, with his disciples. Peter, the guy who always asks the questions that we think but we never say out loud, uh, Peter's the guy who always asks those questions in the Bible. And so we see this insight coming up out of verses 21 and 22 that our forgiveness should not have boundaries or limits. So in the same case here we saw, even if they're unwilling to reconcile, you should still forgive them in your heart. And so Peter is the one who asks this question here. Lord, how many times shall I give my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times seven is another way you can translate that. Now, this is a really cool portion of Scripture that has some uh, biblical correlation that many don't realize. And it, it, it's really tied to this idea that's found all the way back into the beginning uh, in Genesis 4. There's a reference that Jesus is making here when he talks about forgiving 77 times or seven times seven. But first, to understand this concept, Peter is asking the question many of us are thinking, how many times is enough times to forgive someone, and then when do you give up on them? And the Pharisees, who were known as the most righteous of the land, said, three times is the amount of times you should forgive someone. The fourth time, you can no longer forgive. So Peter's probably feeling good about himself and taking this number from the most righteous in the land and I'm doubling it and adding another. So like, that's pretty good, right, Jesus? Seven times? And he says, no, 77 times. This would have been a shattering response of Jesus and most likely Peter would have known the reference that he was making here. And, and Jesus was referencing what was known as the law of Lamech. Okay, and in the Jewish culture, this is well-known and well-taught. And all the way back in the beginning, when Cain had sinned by murdering his own brother, he was banished from his family. And he went to God, and he was scared. And he said, if I go out there, people are going to kill me. This is punishment is too much for me to bear. And there, in a moment of God's graciousness, he said, Cain, if someone kills you, I will avenge you seven times over. And I'll put a mark on your head so people know that you're protected. This is a proactive measure of protection by God to say you'll be avenged seven times over. But you go through the generations and the great, great, great grandson of Cain was Lamech. And there's this portion, you can read it. It's uh, Genesis 4, 24, 23 and 24, where Lamech is bragging to his kids about how he killed someone who injured him. And we don't know what that is. He, you know, he, he scratched me, so I killed him. And he says, if Cain, my great-great-great-grandfather, is avenged seven times over, Lamech will be avenged 77 times over. And there's this idea, this common way of thinking of unproportionate revenge. And that line of thinking obviously became pervasive. Because you go on through the years all the way to the time of Noah, and the world was wicked and full of anger and violence, and it made God sad. 
That was the way of the world, was unproportionate vengeance, anger, and retaliation. And now by Jesus saying, not just seven times, but 77 times, he's saying, I have a new way for you. Unproportionate grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that is immeasurable. Not that you should give up on them on the eighth time, or if you do the math, not the 491st time, or the 78th time or 491st time, but rather that you lose count of how many times you can forgive someone. Instead of being bent on disproportionate revenge, be uh, committed to disproportionate forgiveness and grace. Go far beyond the way of the world and know that God's forgiveness is immeasurable. Now, just a few observations on this. We're talking about forgiving a brother or sister who sins against you more times than you can count. The first is that this is a sin against you. This is not just a little thing. It's going to hurt, and it will be completely unfair. And so what we understand is that we don't just forgive the little things or the things we feel like forgiving. We're to forgive the big things. It doesn't mean that you're endorsing or accepting the sin either. Just as God forgives us of our sins, it doesn't mean that now he condones that sin. When someone sins against you, it's that old saying that you might hate the sin but love the sinner. It doesn't mean that you support them in what they're doing. It also does not mean forgetting. When God forgets your sin, it doesn't mean that he has amnesia or that in his great omniscience he no longer remembers what you did but rather he forgets or lets go of the penalty that's tied to it. And when we forgive a brother or sister who sins against us, we're letting go of that need and that desire to retaliate. It also does not mean erasing this act completely from history. All right, I wish we had that ability to do that, but you are no longer wanting to get back at them. But sometimes natural consequence, legal consequence might still happen even after you forgive them. But this is the opposite of the law of Lamech that we talked about. Rather than seeking that disproportionate vengeance, now you are committed to grace that they do not deserve. We also know that sin is inexcusable in its nature. When we're forgiven of our sin, we do not deserve to be forgiven of that sin by God. Forgiveness, at its core means letting go of the inexcusable. And this is that idea, again, if you're simply forgiving only after they've paid you back, it's not forgiveness at all. If you're forgiving only when you feel ready and like you want to forgive, that's not forgiveness at all. Forgiveness is granted, not earned. In other words, it's a choice we make. In the midst of pain and offense, we are not to wait until we no longer hurt. As I read this week, really stuck with me in one of the commentaries by Gary Inrig, that forgiveness is a servant to the will, not a prisoner of the emotions. And so often we get that wrong. Are you willing to choose forgiveness even when it hurts the most? Because that's how God forgave us. 
And so this idea vaulted Jesus now into a parable, one of the most powerful parables I, I, I feel in all of the Bible, uh, that he talks about this concept of an unforgiving servant in the verses to follow. And the insight we'll get out of this is that forgiveness is the expectation for those who have been forgiven. God does not just desire this of you, he expects it of you. And so he launches into this parable and he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a servant who's reconciling their accounts and realizes, or a master who's reconciling their accounts, and realizes there's a servant that owes a great deal of money, 10,000 talents. And that doesn't mean much to us, but I'll break it down, uh, this down for you. A talent is 20 years of wages. So in our money, that's two to three billion dollars. Another way to look at this that's astronomical is it's what someone would pay back after 4,000 lifetimes of work. So the only way you can be that much debt, debt to your master is probably because you stole from them or embezzled. But even with that, after the servant pleaded, be patient with me and I'll pay this back to you, even though they couldn't, the master forgave that servant of their debt. So now this forgiven and freed servant is walking and, and comes across another servant who owes them, by all com comparisons, a quite paltry sum. They owe them a uh, hundred denarii. A denarii is a daily wage. So a hundred days of working, 20-ish thousand dollars. Now I'm, I'm a person of someone, if I lent someone $20,000, I don't know, I could just say, don't worry about it, right? None of us are in that position. But this, this person was immediately grabbed and choked by the forgiven servant and said and demanded to pay, be paid back exactly what he owed. Now this other servant gave the same response. Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back everything. The difference now is he actually could. But that wasn't good enough for the forgiven servant. He refused to let him pay it back, and he had the man thrown in jail. Now, this didn't sit very well with the master, who just forgave this man of all this money. And he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you, and you couldn't even do the same to another so he had him out of the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And what we're told in verse 35 here, as Jesus wraps up the parable, is that this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister in your heart. And this is a serious thing we're reading here. To understand this, we really need to break down this parable and some key points of it. And first is that we have to think about these astronomical amounts that he's speaking about. 10,000 talents, 2 to $3 billion, 4,000 lifetimes of work. What we see first is that this, this servant was forgiven of something that they could not possibly pay back. And this represents for us our sin being forgiven by God. That our sin, we like to often think of it as this little thing, no big deal. Our sin puts us in a spiritual bankruptcy. That we could work many lives over and we can never pay back God what we owe for our sins. And in this, it reveals the character of the master. This is the true star of the parable. That God has such great beauty in his forgiveness. That forgiveness is always about the one who forgives 
and not the one who's been forgiven. That the forgiver is actually the one who pays what is owed. And what happened is when we sinned and owed that to God, he paid with his own son. That's the depth and the beauty of God's forgiveness in our life. But it's also the response of the unforgiving servant, the one who was forgiven and refused to forgive. It's very telling. And what this tells us is that he did not understand nor appreciate the depth of forgiveness that was given to him. And so he is handed over the jailers to be tortured. Now, does this mean that our salvation is taken away if we no longer forgive people? Well, I certainly hope not. Because in, in many ways, we never truly forgive people in our own power. We're always limited by our own abilities. And this is where it gets dangerous to read parables uh, as every point being highly theo theological in meaning. Sometimes it's explaining something else. And to say that we could have our salvation given and taken away conflicts with many other parts of scriptures. I, I believe this really is talking about what happens to you in an earthly consequence when you refuse to forgive. There are great consequences of an unforgiving heart. The internal torture of bitterness, of resentment, of anger. And for as long as you let those things live inside of you, as we saw in the uh, illustration before, it can blow up. That all of those things can build into hatred. You can begin to hate someone if you refuse to forgive them. And all of these things torment you. You stew over what happened to you. It eats you from the inside. You replay that moment in your mind over and over and over. You stay awake at night. They know that there's physical ailments that can be developed because of an unforgiving spirit. And it sucks the very joy from your life. Unforgiveness torments you. And the refusal to forgive surrenders much or all of your emotional control. And it dictates the terms of your happiness in life. Now, when you are unforgiving of someone, you may think you're punishing them, but you're actually punishing yourself. And I've seen this up close. Okay, I've seen grudges that have lasted decades for something they can't even remember, but they know they're not supposed to like them. I've seen people recount these things that happened to them years ago with a set jaw of anger and clinched fists. And they recount this over and over, getting more angry each time until one day they finally have to let it go and forgive. But we also remember from this parable the true source of our forgiveness, that we always remember the extent of our debt that's been forgiven. And we understand the beauty and the majesty of God's forgiveness, that Jesus is the one that paid it all for us. That we're expected to pay that same forgiveness forward to others, albeit in a much smaller and insignificant way. But if we truly know the extent we've been forgiven, it seems small in comparison to offer that same level of forgiveness to others. And to accept God's forgiveness and refuse to give it to another person is not just unwise or unfortunate, but as we saw in this parable, it is wicked. It is wicked. And it is the way of the world 
It is not the expectation of the believer. Another thing that's cool about this parable is this really isn't the first time the disciples would have heard this concept. This really is an expansion on something that Jesus told them about long ago, all the way back in the Sermon on the Mount. When he taught them how to pray, one of the things he said is that we, would for, that we pray that God would forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. In other words, God would forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. And we're supposed to pray that more as just an expectation. That that's naturally how it would work. But one thing that's interesting is at the end of that prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Now again, this is the example of Jesus of how we are to pray. He kind of has a moment of exposition or commentary on the prayer. And he focused on one thing. The issue of forgiveness. And he gives what some call the scariest verse in the Bible. Uh, I would say it's maybe one of the more sobering verses in the Bible. It's Matthew. Well, I'll read it here. I was going to be on the screen. Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15. Again, this is after he showed them the Lord's Prayer. He said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, is, is this conditional salvation? I don't believe so. It's a really tough truth. And this is the kind of verse you wouldn't find on a Christian t-shirt or on a coffee mug. But it's telling us that if you are unforgiving as a Christian, it's a possible hint that you may not forgive the extent or appreciate the extent of God's forgiveness for you. It's not a call to forgive people in our own power as an act of our worthiness to God, but rather through God's power as one who's been forgiven to forgive others, to share in the grace that we have received. It's not an act of forgiving that merits some eternal reward, but rather it's evidence of God's grace that's at work in you. Forgive others as the Lord forgave you. Now forgiveness itself, as we wrap up, is the very foundation of the Christian life. It's how you become a Christian is that you've been forgiven. And you've accepted that grace. It's the bedrock of the gospel. And we are forgiven before the cross. And it's because of the cross that we are inspired to forgive others. But until you take off the old you and you live in the new life of Christ, you'll always be an unforgiving person. Let the power of God work in you as you forgive others in the same way he forgave you. And also be, be committed to the process of forgiveness. As we talked about, it's, it's not always instant, nor should it be. But you should always be committed to seeing forgiveness through. And it may take some time to get there, but don't give up on it. Go and reconcile. Don't place boundaries on it like Peter, who thought he was being really generous in the amount of times he would forgive. Lose track of how much you forgive. Be abounding in grace. But know also, and this is what's important, is that your inability 
to forgive not only makes your life hard, it's not only a torture in your life, but it grieves God. If he has forgiven you of so much and you're unwilling to forgive another, imagine how that makes God feel. Well, we know that forgiveness is not an optional part of the Christian life. It's a necessary part of what it means to be Christian. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we must forgive. We have no other choice. And we should forgive others in the same way that God forgave us. Freely, completely, graciously, totally. And in that, you will experience freedom you have never experienced before. It's a miracle to be forgiven. It's a miracle to be able to forgive others. Forgive others as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray as we close. Well, Lord, we do um, just want to admit that uh, <laughs> this is tough. This is real tough for all of us. And there's so many ways that we've been offended and hurt in this life. But God, I just pray that we would be a people committed to forgiveness. That we would be joyful in the ways that we can let these things go, that we can hand them over to you. Knowing, God, you are the ultimate judge. You will set things right. But in this life, God, you've called us uh, to live together uh, in a way that's free of these tormentors of bitterness and rage and anger and ultimately, and uh, the most worse is, is hatred. So, God, I just pray that you would help us to always be trusting in you and your power to forgive those who we say we cannot forgive. God, we know it's possible in your name, and we pray to that extent. Amen.